You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello, welcome once again to Cinema a la Carte, the movie podcast, a podcast part of the Dark Discussions News Network, www.darkdiscussions.com. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and with me in the state of Michigan. This is Eric. Eric, how's it going, sir? I'm well. Excellent. And in the state of New York? Hi, this is Mike. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, Phil. How are you? Good, good. Uh, today, for folks who are curious, since some listeners are always wondering when we are recording, because we don't necessarily release episodes the week after, in some cases for this podcast. Or in the same year. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but uh, today is December 13th, 2021, Taylor Swift's 32nd birthday. Uh. So I had to make sure to not forget that. Uh, for folks who are curious uh. about... Well, because uh, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. But, yeah, that has uh, nothing to do with what we're talking about here. That is true, that is true. But I always get at least one Taylor Swift reference in it. Yeah, and I have to give you massive amounts of shit for it, because you should. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Uh, so, uh, for folks who, are, I guess, have stumbled upon us and aren't sure who we are, or listen to the Dark Discussions podcast feed and, and suddenly see this podcast pop up on that feed as well, but it also does have its own feed wherever podcasts are found. But uh, Cinema a la Carte and the Dark Discussions News Network is basically a uh, website, www.darkdiscussions.com, that uh, talks all genres. So, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, techno thrillers, mystery, grindhouse, arthouse, midnight movies, foreign films, and the like. Uh, Cinema a la Carte, actually, you can talk about any film uh, because we'll explain what Cinema a la Carte is in a moment. But, um, the website, uh, you can find all the episodes of this podcast, as well as any other podcast in the Dark Discussion News Network. Uh, basically, you can find articles, release notices, uh, reviews, things of that nature, as well as the podcast. And what else can people find on uh, darkdiscussions.com? Uh, they can find a link to our Patreon account. Give us your money. Uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Patreon uh, will help us uh, be able to... Uh, fund the website and the servers and zooms and all these other things that we have expenses for and also uh for every five dollars uh what, what happens eric uh they can do stuff they can uh submit a topic that's right they can submit a topic so uh we will uh, uh randomly pick every quarter um from, I guess, a, a spreadsheet that we have, and, and uh, whatever film comes up is the uh, episode we will do on the Dark Discussions podcast. Um, so, uh, let's see what else. Uh, so, Mike, what is uh, Cinema a la Carte? Uh, 
Exactly. It is the podcast that you are listening to right now. It is a spinoff podcast of the Dark Discussions News Network in which we discuss films that maybe don't quite lend themselves to being discussed in Dark Discussions. Uh, Each month or six months or a couple of weeks, depending on the schedule, we rotate choosing a film and discuss that film here. Uh, that's right. That's right. So, uh, prior topics have been, uh, for example, Eric has picked uh, films such as uh, the Anthony Hopkins film The Edge, um, the Disney f- uh, film Inside Out. Uh, is it Inside Out? Yeah, that's what it's called. And then uh, the Western um, called, what was it, Hunters, was it? Hostiles. <laughs> Hostiles, that's right, yes. And then uh, Mike has picked Flash Gordon, uh, Baby Driver, and... Forbidden Planet. Uh, Forbidden Planet, that's right, yeah. And uh, I had a Collateral, um, a History of Violence, and a Sean Baker film, Stalin. Uh So a very eclectic group of films, but all generally uh, interesting uh, and whatnot. Um so uh, I guess that's pretty much uh, uh, the house cleaning. Um, I guess we can probably get into our topic tonight. So, uh, Eric, uh, what was that topic tonight? Well, Mike actually tore our topic tonight, so I'll let him have the opportunity to introduce it if you'd like. Fair enough. Mike, go ahead, sir. And now that the cat is off the mute button. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the... Was it 2005? 2005? Mm-hmm. Well, the 2005, excuse me, 2005 neo noir uh, Shane Black film, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Let's go, hurry up. It's not my fault. Just shut up and run. Hold it right there. Harry was a small-time crook. Oh, boy. Till he opened the door. Oh, no, no, we're not ready for your audition. Just take him, he's ready. You ready, right? To a really big break. Quit acting like the good guy. You got your partner killed. You killed him. See, this is what I'm talking about. Old-school method. Give me Gabe Perry on the phone. But he'll need a real cop. Detective lessons tomorrow for your acting. Oh, you're the uh, consultant. If he wants to act the part. You must be Gabe Perry. Still gay? Me? No. I just like the name so much, I can't get rid of it. So what do you do? I'm a private detective. She thinks I'm a detective. Of all the idiot things to do. My sister... From Shane Black, the creator of Lethal Weapon. Do not play detective. Moron. Go home before the bad guys do something bad to you. Two corpses in three hours. I mean, that's unusual, right? Yes. Comes a mystery. It's a frame up. First things first. Do you have the corpse? I, I got rid of it. You threw it away. Yeah. Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No. The definition of the word idiot. Ow. That starts with a kiss. Why'd you lie to me? It was an excuse to stay around you, so I mean, I think... Ow! Did I just cut off your finger? Yeah. It's on the floor. Pick it up. Pick it up. And ends with a bang. Where is the girl? Oh. You put her in 
live round in that gun. Oh, well, yeah, there was like an 8% chance. Eight. Who taught you math? Okay! Harmony! Robert Downey Jr. What do you think, I'm stupid? Val Kilmer. Yes, I think you're stupid. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Oh, hell. Kiss me. What? Kiss me. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. <laughs> These lessons suck. Uh, that's right. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. As Mike seemed horrified, is actually a 2005 film, which is shocking to actually note that that is a 16-year-old film. Now it's just time flies. It's crazy. Uh, the film, as he mentioned... Uh, is written and directed by Shane Black, who's done a number of films, uh, writing and directing, such as uh, uh, Predator and The Predator and uh, this film here, among others. Uh, the film uh, stars Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, and Michelle Moynihan, uh, as well as a number of other folks like Corbin Benson and or Bernstein, I'm sorry, and such. Uh, the film uh, received generally positive reviews. Um, 86% for, uh, at the time from 180 reviews. Uh, it grossed uh, basically its budget of $15 million, uh, which is kind of interesting since uh, the film did have Robert Downey Jr., uh, Val Kilmer, and Michelle Moynihan at the top of their game when they were all superstars. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was actually on a comeback swing then because he had been through his ups and downs. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, his previous upswing had been, I think when he did, did Chaplin in the early nineties and then, uh, that was a comeback and, and then things went for him again. Uh, Val Kilmer has always had an issue because he's apparently a pain in the ass to work with. Um, I can't speak to that having never actually worked with the man. Uh, but I mean, a lot of people have credited this with the reason Robert Downey Jr. got cast to do Iron Man because he was down on a like a low point, and so Marvel kind of grabbed him at a discounted price. Makes sense. And uh, Michelle Moynihan had just done uh, Gone Baby Gone, and what it was uh, fairly popular at the time as well. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So it. Oddly, uh, wasn't the big box office success that I assume Hollywood assumed it was going to be, uh, but it has, uh, I believe, a cult following uh, that I'm sure, Mike, you'll you'll discuss here and there since you chose to film. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, I guess we can uh, get into how we heard about this film and what we thought about it. And uh, let's start with you, Mike, since you uh, chose the topic. <laughs> How I heard about it, I honestly don't remember, uh, because this is, you know, the internet was certainly a thing in 2005. It wasn't quite what it is now. Social media wasn't anywhere near what it is now. Uh, but it had been getting good write-ups and reviews, um, and so it was getting a lot of buzz. And I remember, I think, picking up the disc blind, uh, being really, really happy with it. Um, I liked the movie a lot. All right, sounds good. Uh, what about yourself, uh, Eric? I don't recall how I first heard about this film, but I own it on Blu-ray, uh, and I'm, I don't do blind buys as a general rule. I only buy a disc to own if it's something that I enjoy and would like to watch again more than once. Um, 
So today, when I went to rewatch it for uh, the podcast, I found myself at a bit of a loss because I could not remember what it was about, like pretty much at all. Um, and then as I started watching the movie, I was like, oh, well, that's why I don't remember this. This is completely convoluted. Uh, <laughs> so I like this movie, but man, it's it's got a, pl- a plot that's that's a little twisty. Um, and, and kind of hard to follow if you're, if you're not paying close attention. So, uh, I was glad I watched it again before we discussed it tonight, because if I hadn't, I would have been totally clueless because, uh, yeah, you need to, to watch this movie and then pay attention when you do. That sounds good. Um, yeah, for me, um, I heard about it because, uh, I remember back then they were, they were trying to push it big. Uh, you know, with, with TV ads and and, and whatnot. Uh, but push but, it feel good, Bennett. But um, I, I wasn't a fan of of uh, Michelle Moynihan or Robert Downey Jr. much at the time, and Val Kilmer I liked, but he wasn't like a must see. So it was one of those films I just kind of ignored, and uh, probably would have continued ignoring it today if, if if it hadn't been our topic tonight uh so I, I i finally watched this afternoon and it's yeah it's a pretty good film um i i do agree with eric 100 percent that you have to pay attention because it is very convoluted and uh twisty uh but m- more convoluted but if you pay attention you'll, you'll you'll figure out what's going on um but you have to pay attention um it is uh uh dark humor and acting is, is, is really solid. Um, it gave me a much better appreciation of Michelle Moynihan. Cause uh, I, I, like I said, I never was really a big fan of hers. Uh, Downey Jr. Was solid as always. He's always solid. Even when he was, had some issues, he was, he was still was a, a great actor in every film I've ever seen him in, whether the film's good or bad. And Val Kilmer, uh, played a really good supporting role. And, uh, I forgot how, how uh, charismatic of an actor that he, he was, uh, even if he was more of a secondary A-lister at the time, uh, basically his whole career. Um, so, yeah, it was a good film. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, that's what I got to say. Um, so, Eric, uh, do we have a wiki? Wiki, wiki. A petty thief posing as an actor is brought to Los Angeles for an unlikely audition and finds himself in the middle of a murder investigation, along with his high school dream girl and a detective who's been training him for his upcoming role. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's I, a I, lot I, more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a little spoiler, really, you know, by t- talking about the, his childhood dream girl, or whatever. I mean, because that was a big twist, I felt. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I guess. As good as you can do in two sentences or three sentences, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this is a, uh, you know, again, a, a sort of a noir film, and a lot of noir films are very, uh, and these detective stories are very sh- kind of shaggy dog stories where there is a series of events that the detective follows that don't always have a logical connection until kind of sort of connect them together at the end. Um, well, and isn't it also kind of a send-up of noir since Robert Downey Jr. is such a shitty narrator? <laughs> right, and I 
<laughs> and I appreciate that. And he uses the example, you know, of I can't remember the exact quote, you know, where, you know, he says like when your dad's telling a joke and then he realizes he forgot to tell you that, you know, the horse was driving a Cadillac or something, you know, it's just, it just has to go back. And it's and because the joke doesn't make any sense. So he's talking about how like he sets up this thing with the robot and then that's coming later. And then he completely forgets to refer back to the robot when it was time to talk about it and points mm-hmm. that out. Um, he makes fun of uh, spoiler warning at the end, you know, something that happens at the very end of the film and how it's like, it's shitty it is when movies do it, but hey, that's what actually happened, so we're going to do it here. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and then the directors kind of lean into it even a little more with a touch of fantasy that gets thrown into that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's the the dialogue, and this is a Shane Black film, uh, for those who only remember Shane Black for uh, the travesty that was Predators, um, which is the still travesty. The Predators, which one's that? The one with no, the Predators, the Predator. The Whatever. Predator, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Predator. Olivia Munn, yeah, right. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what happened there. But yeah, Shane Black used to be one of the hottest writers in Hollywood. I have no idea where he is now. He did um, also Iron Man 3, think, Lethal Weapon. I think Predators, uh, I mean, the Predator, um, may have uh, halted his career a little bit. It could have. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's always got a great ear for dialogue and I know this is coming from, uh, a, the adaptation of a, a novel. So I don't know how much of that was lifted and how much that was, you know, him adding to it. I don't know what Robert Downey improved, um, but, or Val Kim or anybody else, but just the dialogue of the whole thing is fantastic. Um, and it's just really just kind of a joy to watch, uh, these guys go through the motions in the story and the plot is kind of secondary to a lot of it to me. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the book it was based on is called bodies are where you find them by Brett Halliday, which is the primary pen name of Davis Dresner, an American mystery and Western writer, uh, best known for a long lived series of Michael Shane mysteries. Uh, so yeah. Um, Okay, yeah, that's that's fair, Mike. Um, so uh, once I saw it was a Shane Black film, it made sense because I, I didn't know until about twenty minutes before this recording that it was a Shane Black film, and it makes sense that that's why you chose the film because I know you're you like his writing and his uh, eye for dialogue and and things of that nature, Mike. So um, makes sense. And then also uh, after. Looking back at the film now, since I watched it this afternoon, I had the day off from work, so I was able to watch it. Um, I could see the, the Shane Black hands on on the film, and, and and that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just that's uh, you, you know he has a, a distinct style, like say Scorsese has a distinct style, or someone else has a distinct style. Um, so yeah. Um, so uh, for folks who are new to the Dark Discussions uh, podcasts network, including uh, Cinema a la carte. Basically, what we do is we don't only review movies, but we critique and dissect. So, uh, at first, we will uh, talk about anything and anything generally uh, related to the film. So, you know, actors and stuff. I have a, a question about one of the actors in this film. Uh, that won't be spoiler. And then, at one point, we will throw up the spoiler alert, and then we'll dissect and critique anything and everything, specific scenes, whatever, that we want to um, 
and such. So uh, again, this is a 16-year-old film now, so uh, folks may have already seen it, and if not, they can always rent it uh, wherever films are found. And as Mike said, you can you can purchase a disc if you prefer, or a VOD version of the film too. Uh, so the non-spoilery part, I guess we can start. Um, so I have a question uh, about Val Kilmer. Um, what happened to Val Kilmer? Because I, I know there was some sort of documentary, and then he just disappeared, and and all this other stuff. Uh, has anybody heard anything about that, or, or what the situation I mean, was about him? Um, there is a documentary. I think it's on Prime. If you're interested, I, so. I haven't watched it. Um, I have a vague regulation of him having some substance abuse issue. Um, but I could be making that up as well. I don't have a solid memory of of why he disappeared, but he did disappear for a while. And Mike, do you have any information on that? Or are you? I, if I remember correctly, he has uh, he had throat cancer. Okay. Uh, so or, or esophageal cancer, something along those lines. Which uh, yeah. So he he did make this documentary kind of about his life, which I have not seen. I'm kind of curious to watch it. Uh, so again, it's, it's it's sponsored by him. The documentary he made it, I think. Okay, so continue. Um, yeah, and my understanding is for 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 a long, long time there have been stories of him being one of these people who's notoriously difficult to work with. You know, there are other actors and actresses. Uh, I've the ones that spring immediately to mind are Sean Young and um, Al Pacino. Uh, James Woods was the other one. I wasn't thinking about Pacino. I don't know if I, I, him. I don't have any idea about. Um, and so even though they're maybe talented, they don't always get, you know, the best parts. Um, but, and, and for a while, like Val Kilmer was writing very high in the early eighties. Um, I remember seeing him a lot in a lot of places. Top Gun, maybe. Well, there's Top Gun. uh, There was Real Genius. Uh, The Doors was in the nineties. You had, um, uh, Top Secret was, I think the first thing I saw him in. It was either Top Secret or Real Genius was where I first saw him, uh, and those were all really solid films. And he always gives. Oh, he was, he was in a Batman film. at one time too. Yeah, which everybody forgets. Uh, oh, Tombstone. <laughs> Tombstone, right? Tombstone was like the highlight of Tombstone. Everybody walked out of Tombstone, you know, saying, "You know, I'll be your Huckleberry," um, which was his line as Doc Holliday in that film, um, which is uh, one of the films you know that's most well known for its uh, stunning array of mustache men. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, so he's, yeah, he's, he's had a long career, but it seems like it's been kind of uh, bumpy. It's got a lot of, a lot of bright spots in there with, I guess some stuff behind the scenes. That's very questionable. I'm really curious. So Disney plus is doing a revival of um, Willow with Warwick Davis. Um, a, TV series sequel to that late 80s fantasy film by Ron Howard that was made by Lucasfilm and Val Kilmer basically played a Han Solo type role in that movie and I'm really curious to see if he's going to have anything to do with the new series um, because of his health issues more than anything Um, I know Val Kilmer had appeared work Davis had um, I can't remember what the name of the series was he had done a series for HBO and I know Val Kilmer did an episode or two with him. So I think they're on good terms, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's it's kind of a sad story, given he has all the talent in the world, and like so many people, just made a lot of bad decisions along the way. Right, right. Yeah, I, I know he had a couple of films that uh, were big budgets that bombed. Uh, not necessarily his fault, like The Island of Doctor Moreau, and and um, I know yeah. the Saint. Well, the Saint was was not well received. I went to Dr. Moreau. He didn't help. I mean, if I remember correctly, he was supposed to be the lead in the film and decided like he just decided he was going to do another part in the movie than the part he was hired to do. And that forced him to hire David Thewlis, who was a fine (laughs) actor, but he got, but you know, it's like at the last minute to hire him to take on the Val Kilmer role while Val Kilmer did a completely different part than the one that he was hired to do. Which I watched a documentary about that movie. I think it was actually a documentary on the director, but it was mostly about that movie. Yeah. Uh, which kind of destroyed that director's career for a while. Yeah, well, that director did have a comeback because uh, he did um, Colorado, Colorado Space. Space, Colorado right? Space, and then he yeah. ruined his own career. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm yeah. back. Oh, wait, never mind. Yeah, the, the Me Too Whoops. Up, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Well, yeah. I mean, it's. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Yeah, I, I don't know the degree of the Me Too, but I don't think it was as bad as some of them. But it was enough that. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't you, yeah, I don't think it was as bad, maybe as I uh, think it was words. Harvey Weinstein, than, but I yeah. I heard it might have been abusive, but I don't remember. Oh, oh you're right. Yeah, it may have been. Yeah, you're right. So I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, there there, there are it, things. It's like well, he only killed three yeah. people. You know? Okay, well. No, no, no. But for some reason, I thought it was he just said like a bad word to somebody. But now, no, it was right, definitely I think it was domestic that. abuse. Yeah, I think it was domestic abuse. Yeah, yeah. So either way, that, that that's not this movie. That's Doctor Moreau. But um, yeah. So okay. So that's yeah. I know, I know Val Kilmer. I mean, I I remember the last one I seen him in that he starred in was Francis Ford Coppola's film that he did a couple of years ago, which is now probably like 15 years old too. Um, and it was really artsy fartsy, like horror film. Um, and some critics really liked it. Uh, well, some didn't get about 60 something percent. Uh, but again, Coppola is another one that's career has kind of been ups and downs, especially at the, the last 20 years or so. Well, that, that that's why I always give on a completely unrelated note so much props to Scorsese because man, yeah. he's still even when people say like, well, he's not as good as he used to be. Yeah. Okay, fine, but you know, you're talking about a guy who went like you know to to Mean Streets and Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, which are really freaking hard to ever top, and he's still right. putting out really good movies. Right, and, and he plus he's seventy eight years old, now, and he's seventy eight years old. Right. I mean, Paul McCartney can can still uh, bang out the bass and the piano and all that other stuff, but he is 78 years old now. So, yeah. And he can write a catchy tune. His lyrics kind of suck, but that's um, right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. So Keith Richards can still play a mean guitar and write, write songs, but it ain't the Keith Richards. But but you know, you go back like dead for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah, maybe forty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anywho, yeah, I heard they originally cast him in the Mummy, but nobody would actually believe that he would be animated. <laughs> 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 you know, anyway, but, but um, 
So, okay, so that's that's interesting about uh, Val Kilmer's career. Uh, so, f- folks are, are curious, whatever happened to Val Kilmer? Uh, that's that's yeah, that's what. And, and it's also fair to point out, like we said, Robert Downey Jr. is a guy who had serious issues, a lot of substance yeah. abuse issues in his younger days. He was a child star, I guess. Would would you say child well, he, star or uh, a young from- star? Well, was, yeah, his whole family is Hollywood people. His father was a director or, pro- or movie producer or something. So, so yeah, and he was a young, a teenage uh, star, right? You know, he did all those films, uh, Weird Science, and and all that stuff, right? Was he right. Weird? Yeah. He so, was. I'm just trying to remember if he was like a. What, what, what age do you stop being a child star? I don't know. It's like he wasn't like a six year old, you know. Um, sure, sure. But sure. you know, but, but, so, but he was around movie sets his entire life. Yeah, and so he just his, he just kept cratering, you know. He just kept shooting himself in the foot, and you know. And now everyone, you know, he's I don't know if he's the highest paid movie star in the world, but one of them. He got a hell of a deal out of Disney uh, through the Marvel films after uh, his first contract expired, and he's so re- rehabilitated his image. Um, that a lot of people may not even be aware if you're a younger listener of all the shit that he had going on back then shit that a lot of people wouldn't might not even hold on him too much now like the you know the, the drug use and whatnot um sure sure yeah yeah i mean i think he was even in jail for yeah months and, and stuff yeah but again you know that's that's here or there behavioral health issues people have it it's it is what it is and uh you know people change um uh, on on this podcast, we we are not we do not uh, cancel people. So uh, basically, if someone did something when they were twenty three, that doesn't mean they are the same person they were at twenty three when they're fifty three. So it is uh, uh, what it is. And 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 because I, I know Downey, he even walked out on an interview like when he was doing one of those Iron Man things. I think it was in England because they started trying to bring up his past. And it's like, what, what? I'm here to talk about Marvel. And so he got up and he left. And, and, and most people uh, supported him over, over the quote-unquote newscaster well, report. And you see that in situations like that, there's usually um, a discussion beforehand. And people doing interviews are usually, if there, if there are no fly topics, uh, they're usually told beforehand, hey, don't talk about this. Uh, and that's probably what happened there. And the interviewer was just incredibly unprofessional and did it anyway. Right, right. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it happens a few times. When I, I've, I think I mentioned once that Quentin Tarantino, he had one happen to him where he was uh, in England again. And uh, they were talking about, uh, I think, uh, the Western that he did uh, with um, Leonardo DiCaprio. And um, the guy started talking about, violence and, and rape and all this other stuff and and do you think you're promoting all these horrible things because you're films and he's going what what are you talking about there's no rape in my films and and it's just movies you know so it's like and so he walked out or, or told the guy to f off or something so yeah but again I'm, I'm not a big fan of news people anyway and and i'm sure many of our listeners feel the same well, way and it's it's gotten better but it's still like I saw a few months ago somebody posted this clip, and it was a clip from a long time ago uh, from when David Letterman still had his late-night talk show. 
Uh, but it was a clip of him interviewing Lindsay Lohan. And uh, he he started asking her about rehab. And she, oh, was like, Jesus. and she was like, that's what not what we're supposed to be talking about. And he could just not let it go. He go. What's rehab like? What do you do when you're there? And she was like, um, can we talk about the movie? And he just was like a dog with a bone and kept on asking about rehab. So it's 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 not just, you know, news media. It's just like interviews in general want to dig up the most salacious shit they possibly can. Right. Right. And David Letterman, the last person to to. We should be doing that with with the terrible things he's done. We shouldn't should be judging anybody for sure. Exactly. Absolutely. So yeah. yeah well, uh, look, I understand you get. It's an interesting. It's a potentially interesting story. Obviously, it depends on what happens to the person in rehab, what really happened there, and and how they spin it. Right, but, but you and know, people are going to be interested in that. You know, it's the. You know, set the folks up for that. That's not the reason you're interviewing the people, right? You, you interview them because you want to right. talk you, about the movie. You, you tell them that ahead of time. This is not a, a you know, piece. you're not you're not interviewing a politician who's, you know, just got caught with his pants down in a scandal, right? You're you're talking to an actor who's there to promote a movie. And that's why they're booked on there and that's the agreement. And anytime I've interviewed someone I always ask if there's anything A they want to uh discuss because again, they're doing us a favor and we're trying to do them a favor. So I make sure I bring up whatever their new things are. And then I'll also say, is there anything that you don't want discussed? Is there anything you don't want brought up? You know, because again, I'm not there to do a gotcha interview. You know, it's, um, it, it is what it is, you know? So yeah, people want to be dicks about it. They can be dicks about it. I think that has, that really should be up front. You know, they shouldn't be there to make their guests uncomfortable. Right. 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 Yep, exactly, exactly. Man, we are uh, all over the place tonight. Yeah, yeah. Well, well you know, I mean, that's, that's yeah. Well, it's, yeah, that's the non-spoiler stuff. Um, and, you know, we can even talk about Shane Black and his mistakes with The Predator, where he defended a friend of his that had been arrested, and that's what I think may have destroyed Shane Black's career, <laughs> to be honest, because he was defending an actor on that film that he wanted in the film. And Olivia Nunn called him out on it, so yeah, it is what it mm-hmm. is. Um, well, I think that wouldn't have killed him if the movie had done well um, or yeah, sure, been, sure. been sure. good. In the um, end, it's all about money. And yeah, and that's it. And even like, and even then, I'll say Predator was a, was an absolute disaster of a film. But there's still things I enjoyed it that I laughed at. Um, that you could still see touches of Shane Black's wit coming through. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was it was about a twenty percent good film for sure, but <laughs> that's that's the problem, right? Right. You know, there was some yeah. good set pieces and some good dialogue and some good special effects, and then there was other things. that's like, okay, this is uh, Ridley Scott at his worst type of film. You know, yeah, um, and then it was just on Ridley Scott. But. Yeah, but yeah, and it was just post production tale. You know, it was the by. And again, that's always the question of, well, did the studio get involved because the film sucked or the film sucked because the studio got involved? Right, right, right. I would say that more often than not, it's the latter. Yeah. <laughs> this is my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but, but you, you know, uh, a lot of times, you, you know, I, I'll, I'll throw it on both because you get the, the directors who just want full control and they don't have anybody there to say, you know, you may want to do this, you know, this ain't going to work. But they say, fuck you, this is my film. And then you get the producers that say, 
this is our money, you know. So we've seen disasters go in both both ways. But I, I, I can see your point, Eric. I can see your point absolutely. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I will I will agree with Mike in that uh, the dialogue in this movie is really what uh, sets it apart. <laughs> there's, there's some great dialogue in this movie where the uh, Bell Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. are just constantly confusing the hell out of each other. <laughs> it's pretty funny, actually. Um, there is. And this is the Shane Black dialogue you're talking about, right, Mike? Yeah, very much so. Um, well, just little things like, um, again, him talking as the narrator and realizing he's fucking up as a narrator, um, is, is kind of novel. Um, there's a scene where I think I wrote it down where there's a miscommunication and something like, oh yeah. You say something about talking money and you say talking monkey, and they just like just have this, and they never clarify what either one is saying, and it just leads into like I've got ten dollars. It says, you know that that says this will happen. You know that the fact that the guy that he had from high school is you know might still be available for you, and he says, oh, I got, you know five dollars will say this, and I got ten dollars that says that. It's like what are you talking about? Talking money, talking monkey. Yes, there's a talking monkey. It's just this whole. Thing. And right. and it works because now it helps that these are both two funny guys. Robert Downey, you know, in particular, is a funny guy. Val Kilmer is always actually kind of a drier wit. He kind of works a bit more as a straight man and works very well here as a straight yeah. man. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so the two of them bounce off each other really, really well. And it's kind of a shame. That we never saw them. I mean, not that either one is dead, but I don't know if Fal Kilmer can even talk anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that they never right. got to do more together. Well, and 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 they were all in those those cult films for when they were ki- teenagers. You remember, like uh, Downey was doing uh, Weird Science, and 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 um, this guy Kilmer did that that other one. What the hell was it with? Uh, I forget the name of it. It was. I don't know. It was a really good one where they, he's like worked as a science student or something. I don't know. Real genius. Yeah. Real genius. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so they, they, yeah, they were, they were like kind of coming from the same school of, of thought back then. So it was, it seemed like a perfect combination for this film here. And, and, uh, sure enough, they, they, they were pretty solid together. Indeed. Um, sorry to interject there, Mike, but, uh, you you going to say further things before I, I threw that out there? But no, that was it. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> so let's see what else. Um, uh, now this film here. Um, explain. Oh, by what, the way, there there is a connection between this film and our last film. Um, the the edge. Yes. They both feature a bear. <laughs> that is true. That is, I was trying for a second there. I was like confused, but I'm going, oh, yeah. And, and do you know who plays the bear in this film? I do no. not. It's, it's Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, he provides I, a voice for the bear in the commercial. Oh, oh no shit. Huh, that's pretty interesting. 
Uh, he did so, not provide the voice for the bear in The Edge, though. No, no, that, that was that, that would was be, that would be an amazing coincidence. That was that was Bart the Bear. Yeah, I think he or whatever his name was. He he played his own yeah, voice. Yeah, in that film. yeah, Bart did his own talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed, indeed. Um, so um, you might have well, to turn on the subtitles because it's a lot of very. Do you know who played the the uh, young version um, of uh, Michelle Moynihan's character? Johnny Depp. That's Ariel Winter. How do I know her? She became a star in Modern Family. Yeah, she's the one. I was about to say the one that had the the breast shrinkage, right? She well, if that's how you want to think of her. Well, that's how I know her because I never watched the show. <laughs> it's this big thing about how her breasts were humongous and she had to just shrink them one size or something. I was like, what is this news story? There's some more therapy for Phil. <laughs> uh, no, no, but there's I mean, a, it's just, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world. Because shame if something happened to yours. Well, that's the only reason I know her because I never watched the show, you know. I mean, and otherwise, it's like you know. I mean, like I've, I've always said about Dexter, you know, my my wife doesn't know any of the actors or actresses in that show, and so when I I talk about them, she goes, I don't know who they are except I see them in Star Magazine, you know. So if you don't watch the show, you don't know anything about them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's all. Um, so uh, yeah, this this here. Um, um, this film here. What what is this neo noir thing you're talking about, Mike? What what the heck does that mean for for, for listeners? Well, neo is new, and noir means dark. And so, film noir were the old um, movies like Double Indemnity uh, or Sunset Boulevard. Uh, a lot of these detective films, very well known for a lot of very uh, heavy voiceover dialogue. Um, you know, you see it parodied a lot in old cartoons. Uh, I can think of one with uh, Daffy Duck. But the third man, a uh, thin man, rather, I think would be another one. But it's... Um, and do this it on is, whose line is it anyway, too? Yeah. And, you know, and so... Uh, was it uh, the one that Steve Martin did? Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid was his satire and send up of it. And so a neo-noir is just a modern version, a modern telling of those kind of stories. Uh, and it's just mostly detective stories of some, some sort. Right. And this is one of those. Um, it's just the detective happens to be a criminal masquerading as an actor, masquerading as a detective. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, it is. And the, the, what's great is when you really look at it, first of all, because I, I, I haven't seen this in a while, and I loved it when it came out. Um, and I don't know if I just forgot or didn't pick up on it. It's got this great, like, ch- you know, charming little scene. I don't, I don't want to say it's a great scene where the, uh, where the, the girl and, and, uh, the, and the younger versions of the actors, they're doing a magic trick, and she's getting sawed in half. And one kid is there with the saw, and she starts screaming her head off. And the parents at some kid's birthday party, and the I parents and- had to sh- almost shut off the film when I saw that scene. <laughs> I, I really thought it was that, but then when I don't know, it was it was just freaking me out. But anyway, continue. But then you know the the parents throw open the box, and she's there with her legs tucked in. They spoiled that trick forever. And it cuts to the title sequence. 
as the father raises his hand to Belter. Mm-hmm. And for a lighthearted film, that's like a really heavy place to start. And it ends in the same place. Um, although it's, they, they make a point that it's really more the, the sister, I think, that had been sexually abused than her. Mm-hmm. Not that that means she got away scot-free. It was like, whew, thank God dad's not here for me tonight. Um, but also, it's, you got this scene where then we cut to the present day. The present day meaning uh, 17 years ago. And um, by the time this podcast is released. And they're raiding a toy store on Christmas because it's somewhere in Shane Black's contract that every thing he writes must be said at Christmas time. And the cops come, um, they set off the alarm, and his partner gets shot. His partner dies. Does he? Di- yeah, pretty well. It made it sound like he was dead because he goes. Yeah, okay. He thinks uh, even if he's if he's not, he thinks it is because he mentions it later. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh my god, you know, it's like this is a comedy. <laughs> it's like it's a feel good comedy with dead people and child molestation and abuse. Yeah, Yay! that's true. Yeah. yeah, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> it's just so bizarre that it goes there. Yeah, that's true. I, I was actually uh, um, surprised because I, I thought this movie was going to go really into, um, uh, I guess, the, you know, give the basically the middle finger to Hollywood, you know, because the scene at the party and he says people have the name Jill and it's spelled J-Y-L-L-E. And, all, and it's like, OK, this is going to be like that uh, under the Silver Lake or whatever that film was called from a couple of years ago. And so it was going to be one of those type of films. And yet you're right. There's a lot of violence and weird things that are inappropriate for a comedy. And yet it is kind of of a comedy. And it does. I mean, it, look, it, it, it definitely does take its shots at Hollywood. Uh, sure does, in fact, yeah. the whole thing, you know, it's revealed at the end because Robert Downey Jr. is running away from the cops, accidentally stumbles into an audition when he, ducks through a door and then the audition just just so happens to perfectly coincide with what he's living through right so right. he channels the emotions really really good and so they fly him out from new york to california to get training as a detective for his role in this movie right and that's sort of what sets all the <laughs> wheels in motion at the end of the film not even we find out he was never getting the part that he was just being used to lower Colin Farrell's uh, asking, uh, price. asking yeah. price. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that, that is very much a thing that Hollywood does. Right. Well, and and the guy that's uh, training him to be a detective is Val Kilmer, <laughs> whose character's nickname is Gay Perry. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when they meet for the first time. Herbert Downey Jr. asks him, still gay? <laughs> he goes, nah, I'm waist deep in pussy. I just like the nickname so much, I decided to keep it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if the, the, some of these uh, jokes would, would work in today's day and age. 
Yeah. Uh, people are uh, soft. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, Dave, uh, uh, Chappelle, Dave, Dave Chappelle. I mean, he, he is probably the only person that gets away with it and, and he gets almost canceled. So I, yeah, I don't think they could take a problem. Yeah, but he's this. not making fun of gay people here. And I, I think it, somebody made a good point. He's the first, this is an action comedy and how many action comedies can you na- name where the one of the two leads was a homosexual man? Not very many. Right. Um, so, so re- repeat that question. How many? How many films? action films can you name, like these buddy cop films, yeah. where one of the buddies is a gay guy? Right. I see your point. Yeah. At least, yeah. Especially back in two thousand six or five. And to, or yeah. And 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 just to pardon the 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 the, the turn of phrase here, but they. They play him straight. <laughs> so, um, they don't turn him into some mincing fop or a, right. or a caricature. You know, he's a gay guy. Who's a, who, and he's a funny gay guy. He's a sarcastic gay guy. If you know any gay people, they're certainly more than capable of making fun of themselves. <laughs> right. Um, so it's not like, oh, my God, a gay guy is making is, – is, making fun of the ignorant heterosexual by saying he's knee deep in pussy. Right. Um, so they have a lot of, they have fun with it. I said, it's, it's, um, I like, there's the, where he starts, uh, chastising the, the henchmen, right? You get the henchmen whose names are Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, frying pan and Mr. Fire. (laughs) So stupid. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, where he's talking basically like about him looking at his package, and the reality is he's he's tucked his gun in there because like a little derringer in there because he said that the homophobes never checked there. <laughs> right. So it was just so they they have fun with it and they work with it and it's not a big part of the film. It's up. It is a part of it, but it's not like the only part of his character. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it's somewhat in, thrown in there for comic relief, I guess, because otherwise it wouldn't matter. But also, I think it's also a wink and a nod to the whether it's true or not uh, the the Hollywood stereotypes of mm-hmm. of closeted folk. I mean, there's been rumors for a number of years of of various actors and actresses that may or may not be um lgbt and um they say they aren't and there's no reason to not believe that but you know that oh there's that there's a there's a whole episode of south park where um John Travolta goes and hides in the closet and they're all trying to coax him to come out of the closet. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they eventually send and they eventually send in Tom Cruise. And then once Tom Cruise gets in the closet, he won't come out of the closet either. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Because I know him and then Keanu Reeves, Richard Gere, Justin Timberlake. I mean, it, it, there's been so many that have been thrown to the wolves by, these rag magazines, whether true or not, and they all deny it, you know, and it's, well, I don't, I don't know about all of them, but I could certainly say in the case of somebody like Justin Timberlake or, um, uh, say Leonardo DiCaprio or Johnny Depp, anyone who has ever at any point in time ever been a heartthrob for teen girls, 
the one thing that the average teenage boy knows unfailingly is that every single one of them is gay. They're all gay. <laughs> right, right. It's more because of uh, jealousy than anything. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's too funny. Yeah, good point, Mike. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, um, what else? Um, um, so yeah. All right. So let's let's get into some of this film here. So basically. Uh, um, Robert Duvall, Robert Duvall, Robert, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Um, hey, hey, Robert Duvall is my favorite actor. So I, always, always I, I know, it's just a hell of a mistake to make. <laughs> I'm just thinking this would have been a completely different movie. <laughs> and it would yeah. be, and, I'm, and I'm, I kind of want to see that now. It might still be good. Uh, yeah, actually, I would think it would be awesome. Robert Duvall is the type of guy that would, would take no shit. So I, I think he would have been better, actually. But that's that's besides the point. Uh, anyway, uh, um, so basically Harold, or Harry, um, like we said, is, is now in uh, Hollywood. Um, and um, there's this chick named Harmony that he saves from being, I guess – sexually assaulted though he may be completely wrong because it, the guy leads her out to her car but i don't you know it's it's ambiguous well, and one of the one of the running dynamics in this movie is that he always seems to want to defend her honor and it it also seems like she might not have as much honor as she he thinks she does yeah, well, and and that's the thing that's interesting about um, this film too is it, it's another Hollywood tr- uh, stereotype that probably has some truth to it, which is um, unfortunately, which is a woman in Hollywood. Uh, in many cases, this film is is kind of saying a lot of things. It's saying that women are used and abused, but it's also saying women don't care in a lot of cases and will actually exploit themselves to get ahead. So the film is on both sides, which is kind of interesting. Um, well, it depends on, and, and I said this when the me too thing started that the, the people most to blame are the, the, were the men in charge, but there's also a lot of, of actresses out there that were perfectly happy to sleep their way to the top. And that put a lot of the actresses who didn't in a really bad position too. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. And, and, and her character you know, he says it. She slept with every guy in high school except for him and his best friend. Like, and it's like she she didn't sleep with his best friend is like a gift to him that she wouldn't sleep with him. Right. And then, of course, we find out yeah. she slept with him. Right. The, yeah, with the friend. Right. Yeah. Right. And then she's the type that she's in Hollywood and, she, and uh, there's a spider. She's she's passed out, and there's a spider that's walking onto her um, uh, boobies and going under the bra and he's trying to swat it away and she wakes up and she thinks he's squeezing her boobs and <laughs> and she goes, uh, it's okay. You know, everybody squeezed bo- someone's boobs and he was like pissed because it's like, no, no, no. I don't squeeze the boobs of someone that doesn't say yes. And she's going, oh, it's not a big deal. And then this, they have this big discussion about, but it is a big deal. And he's the one that's mm-hmm. defending the woman's uh, right while she's like, ah, who cares? It's not a big deal. And it's it's an interesting conversation because, 
he's the one that's you could argue is in the right. Oh yeah. Well, again, all the stuff like the Harvey Weinstein stuff that's that's been out there for years. The, right. the casting couch was a cliche. All these people, I had no idea. Bullshit, you had no idea. Right. Everybody knows this was going on. Nobody ever. A lot of people didn't want to know. The people right. at home watching the movies knew. They just didn't want to hear about it. Right. You know, or they suspected stuff was going on, sort of like, you know, back with baseball and steroids. You know, it's just, yeah, I'd rather just know that the movies are being made by people I like. I don't want to know how the sausage was made. Um, and, I, and you know, kudos to the film for being way ahead of its time and bringing some of that stuff up, even if it was making fun of it, right? Um, right. But yeah, it is it is creepy, it is disturbing, but hey, that's 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 what it was. Uh but then of course she finds the the, the dead spider on her boob. <laughs> and uh, and so we know the dider the spider died died happy. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Um so but but yeah, so it's just little things like that that have nothing to do with the main plot of the film that are thrown in here that don't detract in the the um, the film's uh, flow, and yet are so good because I could see if I had seen this at the theaters with a crowd, everybody would be laughing because he's like, "Oh my god, how do I get the the spider out from under a boob?" You know, I mean, because I'm thinking it's like a a fiddlehead spider, you know, like a uh, I mean, a fiddleback spider. So in other words, a brown recluse or something. And it's like, holy shit! And and so everybody would be laughing at the theaters as he's trying to do it. And then when she wakes up and they have the, the argument, like, no, I want you to believe I wasn't trying to squeeze your boobs. You know, it, it was it would have been a, a funny, funny line without um, bringing the movie to a halt. Uh, is, so so it is a brilliantly written script, uh, even if uh, me and Eric do understand that it can be a little convoluted as well. Um, but that is, again, the kind of a joke where they talk about the. Um the novels that she loved to read as a girl. And there are always these two, the detective novels, there's always two separate cases that tur- that are completely unrelated until it turns out that they really are the same thing. Right. Which of yeah. course, and you know, they, they hang a light on, you know, cause you know, that's going to end up happening in this story too. Um, so, which is another one where they kind of call out the it wasn't quite a Chekhov's gun moment, but uh, when he's at the party and they talk about Corbin Burnson and his daughter. And he right. says, oh, my God, what what how terrible writing is this? It's like, yeah, like that's not going to come back later in the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That was basically the the Chekhov moment there. They're, Only the narrator pointing out the Chekhov moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so I thought that was pretty cool. Um and I, I thought that was that was kind of I, I like that one better than the one at the end, um, because that one what wasn't as much of a wink wink nod nod as as the one at the end, which was you know obviously just to get a huge laugh, um, and that's fine. Um, let's see what else. Uh, I like laughing, Phil. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. They do, they do. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, what else do we got? Um, 
did we want to talk about? Oh yeah, so so yeah, so he basically finds out that uh, he's you know he's supposed to be there for a part, even though we already know we eventually find out that he was just being used by this manager to lower uh, Colin Farrell's salary. Uh, but um, he hooks up with Perry because they're part of Perry's. I guess I guess for him to practice for his role or something to do a detective detective thing and basically they witness a crime where a person is in a trunk a woman that goes into the river and they witness it happen and uh that's where we get our fire and fry pan guys and a gun goes off because val kilmer has a little pistol and they shoot into the vehicle and so there's a bullet in the head of the body that was in there um and so they don't know if it was they they think it's intentional because the the two hitman guys have masks but they also aren't sure if they were the murderers themselves because of the gun going off on mistake and and shooting the body in the head Am I right? Am I right? This one, right? I think so. Well, yes. no, I'm pretty sure she was dead before she ended up in the truck because her neck was broken. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And bullets don't normally do that in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, I'll throw. Let's throw up the spoiler now, and then we'll just talk about everything. Anything uh, for clarification. Is that all right? Sound good? Yes. All right. So the spoiler's up. Uh, so, yeah, so basically what it is, is Val Kilmer was hired by uh, Moynihan, and let me use their character names um, rather than the actresses and actors' names. Uh, so Harmony's sister hired Perry to do detective work uh, to follow um, Harlan Dexter, the, the movie producer, director, actor, played by Corbin Bernson. Uh, because she believes or wishes to believe that Holland Dexter is her father biologically because, um, as Eric mentioned earlier, um, as a child back in Indiana, um, the father was a sexual abuser and a scumbag and all these other things. And so Bernstein's character... Uh, Dexter happened to be filming a film during the uh, time frame when she was born. So she had this idea in their hometown. Yes, exactly. In Indiana. And she had this idea that maybe he was her real father. And um, so it's basically, she's trying to heal herself. Would that be the appropriate term? Um, because if you know you're damaged because of your childhood because of rotten parents uh, and and to be honest evil parents the only the only thing i would add is didn't harmony put that idea in her head yes yeah harmony did yes so harmony was the older sister she was around when the movie was being filmed that got her into reading those books yes Um, yes. uh they're the they're detective storybooks from the pulp storybooks, yeah. Right. And right. so she uh, she lies to 
excuse me, to her sister. Johnny Gossamer was the name of the yeah. the detective. The Johnny, Johnny Gossamer book. So she lies to her sister who's being abused by her father that he's not really her father. Right? And trying to make her feel better. And says the lead actor from the Johnny Gossamer movie was in fact her real father. And so she eventually goes out Harmony goes out to be an actress and the the sister goes out to try to find the actor who she thinks is her father. That's right. And and then everything goes cockeyed. Yeah. Right, right. Because there basically there's a big convoluted part, as Eric mentioned, that does make sense when it's explained, but you have to pay attention. And since we're in spoiled territory, we'll discuss it. Uh basically, um, the the Harlan Dexter's wife, I think, passed away, or or great grand or grand or parent passed away, and he and his daughter, uh, a daughter named Veronica, I think, or, or Valerie, it's because of a V, Victoria, maybe. Um, she comes back from Europe after not having any relationship with her father because he was a scumbag. Um, to fight for possession of this inheritance. And then what happens is the two of them supposedly based off the press, um, become, uh, friendly again and heal their relationship and are, are going to agree to, uh, split the money, uh, correctly as, as probably should happen. And then the, the big plot twist is, is, then there's this huge big plot twist. Um, I don't know if we want to get into that now, explain that now. Again, we're in spoiler Tory, so I don't know if we want to talk about it, but what do you think? Anyone? I mean, just to tie it up. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, go ahead. You, you can explain. Uh, so basically what happened is that uh, his actual daughter, um, he had her put in a psych ward, right? Yep. And then hired an actress to play his daughter who was now friendly with him um according to the press and so uh harmony's sister um they're trying to figure out she she commits suicide the cops think she commits suicide and harmony's like no she would never commit suicide um she had to have been murdered we have to find out why she was murdered and it turns out that she did actually commit suicide because she witnessed this guy having sex with the actress that was supposedly his daughter and thought she was watching her biological father commit incest. Um, All over again. And be sexually abusive, just like the person she had been told wasn't her biological father had done to her. And it was just too much. Right. So, and, and, and so the really. Twist- Harmony set that up. Um, <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, Not to point fingers, but it's her fault. Pretty and, much. And, and for Holland Dexter and his daughter, Victoria, Valerie, whatever the name is, because we're vegan. Um, I'll just go with Valerie for, for ease. Um, his daughter, he puts in sight wood, and then they decide to kill her so they could then uh, have him just inherit everything because the daughter died and, and therefore all, all the money would just go to him. 
and there wouldn't be a split of the money from the inheritance. And she is supposed to die in some car crashes, as I think we saw at the beginning of the film. But the problem was, is people figured this out um, because of the detective work, because of Harmony's sister, Hiram Perry. Never mind the fact that an ex-boyfriend of Valerie knew that that wasn't Valerie, the girl that was being the quote-unquote imposter. And so just kill the daughter so there would only be one person that would inherit all the money. Am I am I right? Is that right? Again, this is a little convoluted. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. And, and, um, that's, that's the, that's the pretty much the story. And so Val, what happens with, with, um, Harry is one of Harmony's friends he bumps into and he says that she, he's a private detective to her. Um, because, you know, that's what he was doing with Perry before he was getting the role that he thought he was going to get. And so Harmony thinks that he is a private detective. And so she wants him to help her follow up with her sister. And then they find out that Perry is actually working on his sister's case so both Perry and Harry's cases are actually linked in the same. Again, ta-da! That wasn't too convoluted. Yeah. Um, so that's the the plot. Now the question is: is what scenes do we want to talk about? Uh, whether it's writing, cult, classic, dialogue, interesting action. I don't know. Oh, 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 that, that's the finger. Oh my God. I had, I almost freaked out and had to shut the film off on that too. That was the weirdest, like, it really has nothing to do with anything else in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like at one point, uh, Robert Downey Jr. randomly gets his finger slammed in the door and, and, and severed, <laughs> detached. Right. <laughs> it, it's, the, it, it's the reason why, he was able to hook up with Harmony again after she finds out that he wasn't a detective and she was pissed mm-hmm. because she feels sorry for mistakenly slamming the door on his finger and chopping it off. So mm-hmm. if, if there's anything to that scene, that's what it was, but it is a weird one except for maybe just to get uh, some laughs, I guess. <laughs> right. And, and his total non-reaction, it was weird too because she slams the door and then opens it up and just goes, did I just chop off your finger? And he's just like, yeah, could you get that for me? Oh, my God. And then when they cut to it, I almost, like, grossed out. And I had to shut the film off almost. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I actually did stop watching the film for about an hour after that. Because I, I said, wow. Oh, yeah, it was too gross. You're weak. Yeah, that that one and and the, <laughs> and the chainsaw scene almost almost made me freak out. Yeah, those those two scenes freaked me out. Don't, ask Don't you me. host a horror movie podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, these, didn't didn't you watch Taxi Driver when you were ten? <laughs> yeah, but that was awesome because that was guns. <laughs> I'm an American man. Guns, my second amendment. So, uh, I never had a gun in my life, but that's my second. Uh, and I've only fought, fought, fired a gun once 
in Virginia, in my <laughs> brother's backyard, when he said, Phil, what are you trying to shoot Barrett? No, no, no. This is way before. <laughs> I think Barrett was still living in Minnesota then, so he's he was okay. Oh. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, yeah, that was that was a gross scene, and and then of course they they play it up later. I, I would I would have been so pissed and horrified when it was swallowed by the dog. Yeah, I can't. Well, they covered the evidence. Yeah, I know, but but. You're not gonna. I, I mean, I type for a living, and so doesn't you and Eric. Yeah, but it, he 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 doesn't. Yeah, that's true. But still, it's your finger. He's an actor detective. Crook. It's your finger. It's your finger, though. <laughs> he's he's a thief slash actor slash detective. <laughs> he's a, yeah, he's a multi-class character. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, thief, warrior, magician. Right of the of the of the human. Uh, right. Sorry, he's an he's a thief, actor, detective. Magician. And jester, maybe? Or acrobat? I don't know. Anyway, uh, to get back to this film. Um, yeah, it it was... I would have been devastated if it was swallowed. Yeah, it would be a bummer. Yeah. That was a, that was a great scene, though, prior, before the dog swallowed. Because when he goes under the bed... So basically what happens is... Uh, is the hitman tell him to stop following him and, and get off the case? And when they attack, do the beat him up, his finger gets ripped off again after it gets sewed on. So he's being brought to the hospital by Harmony, but then Harmony sees the hitman and decides to follow them into the park that they're going. And he she leaves him in the car and says, right, well, I'll be back. And eventually, um, girl that is playing Valerie's double runs and takes the car and drives it back to her apartment or condo or whatever. And when he's there, he wakes up because he had passed out from blood loss or whatever. And he goes into the house and then he, he hears the people and he, he freaks out, j- jumps under the bed and he notices one of them is one of the hitmen, you know, frying pan, or not frying pan, the other one, a uh, fire. And he shoots the double. The double falls and is still alive and sees him under the bed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, it was, it was an interesting moment for sure. Yeah. And, and it was like, it was very, uh, thriller moment too like what's going to happen all that then she finally passes and he gets out of the bed when he thinks the hitman leaves and of course the hitman had just gone to the kitchen to clean up something and came back and it's like holy shit and they see each other but that moment was great too because the hitman not knowing that he was there had just left his gun on the bed and Downey Jr. I mean Harry grabs the gun and blows his brains out. And that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Vengeance. Vengeance. So I was like, I, I actually screamed out. Yes. Kill the motherfucker. Man, you've changed. Yeah. Mike, remember back in the day when Phil was like, no, murder is always wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Nowadays, there's a problem. If you don't, Defend yourself. Th- th- these people aren't going to jail, no matter what, because 
the D, the, the liberal DAs just let everybody go. So you got to take them out now. You just got to shoot them. <laughs> that's 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 the, that's the, especially evil people like that. That guy was bad. He deserved it. Hey, you're, I'm, I'm not arguing with you. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I'm not the one that was saying murder is always wrong. I was on the side of sometimes murder is kind of what has to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this one it did because it was in the, the moment of the scene. It wasn't like he just saw the guy walking down the street and said, hey, I'm going to just shoot that bastard. You know, I'm it, not arguing. I, I'm just saying yeah. I don't think you would have made this point 10 years ago. That's all. You were probably right, Eric. You've rubbed <laughs> off on me quite well, quite well. Um, so, Mike, what, what do you have to say about all this? Well, about that scene? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there was, um, again, I think the, the, the film does a really good job of pivoting sometimes very suddenly and either turning comedic scenes into something serious or serious into something comedic. Um and, you know, with him, like, kind of desperately trying to quiet her as she's dying on the floor um, and leaving his bloody fingerprints all over her face. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a well done scene. You know, it's just um, it's, it's something that we've seen before. You know, the, the, the crooks in the house and the, the hero is cowering under the bed, you know, trying hope, you know, hoping not to get noticed. You know, we've seen similar things like that before. Um, but yeah, just, it's like a lot of the film, just well executed. Yeah. And, and the scene even before when, when frying pan gets wiped out too, that was awesome too, because Val Kilmer would have had, you know, to report to the police. Yeah. This is why I shot the guy, whatever. And instead the food truck guy does it. Yeah. That was awesome. That was yeah. Great. And that's right. Where, Cause the, the pink haired girl is basically luring Val Kilmer into a trap. He's, he is shadowing her and she's in, uh, and he's following her, you know, uh, she's leading him on though, into the trap with fire and frying pan. Um, I don't know why the food truck guy has a gun other than, you know, he's a food truck guy. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially in, in LA, I mean, to, to have a, a firearm in LA is probably impossible unless you're, you have it illegally, but yeah, I mean, it makes, I, I think it kind of makes sense because, you know, you know, just like liquor store owners and stuff, you know, they're more apt to be, give me all your money. Yeah, I'm so. really curious because back in the 80s, it was not that uncommon for people in L.A. to be packing heat. Right. Um, it was it was almost well, especially uh, if you run a cash business. Yeah, it was almost a stereotype. And I know gun laws have gotten way more restrictive out there, but I don't I don't think that means a whole lot of people necessarily turned in the ones that they had. Right. So while they may not own them legally, and that's a whole right. separate argument, it uh, doesn't mean that they don't have them. Sure, sure. And if you're a small business, like Eric said, cash business, maybe you're more apt to be able to get one. You know, I mean, I mean, you, you know, know the, like the, gas the, stations, a lot of them had a gun behind the counter. Yeah, gas stations, liquor stores. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you know the the joke of the the. Uh, Rooftop Koreans, you know, so a lot, a lot, a lot of folks had, and you know, so a food truck in the middle of a park during the middle of the night, it's probably wise to, you know, be packing because who knows who's going to be coming. So, um, yeah. So when that asshole pulls out the gun and starts firing, um, the food truck guy had no problems just blowing his brains up. And, and that's the thing is, is that 
I, I, I mean, is he, it, the food truck guy doesn't know anything. He's just seeing a guy shooting a gun. Could it have been an undercover cop and he blew his brains out? So it shows you, he didn't think. He just shot, fired. Or am I overthinking yeah. everything? No. I could be overthinking. He, did, he just saw something happening and he pulled out a gun and shot. He made right. no context as far as we know. Yeah, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so that was awesome, too. So, so that was good. I, I was like, yeah, I killed that scumbag. He's a fucking bastard. Because he's a murdering scumbag. Um, let's see. Anything else we want to discuss? There's going to be a lot of other scenes, Mike, that you thought that really brought this film out for you. It's hard. You know, it's um, certainly the scene in the lake. Um, <laughs> oh, was it a lake? I thought it was a river. You mean the car? Yeah, yeah, with the car, and again, it's a lot of it's just the, the, this very scintillating dialogue back and forth between them. Go look uh, up the definition of idiot in the dictionary. You know, you'll find a picture of me. No, the definition of an idiot. What you fucking are? Uh, <laughs> uh, where? Where gloves? Uh, what kind of gloves? Uh, what is it, buckskin or something? He says. <laughs> fucking idiot and part of it is the fun of having val kilmer being again which is ties into the gay perry thing is being the anti-detective right he's not the the sam spade raymond chandler type right is part of it is teaching him that the business is not the what the business is made to look like in the movie um, they're not there to be heroes. They're not there, you know, to, to get the girl that, you know, it's, it's a lot of boring shit, you know, that when they see the guys, you know, with to kill the girl in the trunk, their job is not to go off and run off and be the hero and go attack the guy. Um, so a lot of his dialogue is just sort of puncturing what Robert Downey Jr.'s character is thinking they have to do because they're, they're the good guys, right? They're the detectives. And he's like, no, that's not what we do. <laughs> um, there's the scene, the, the climatic scene on the bridge where she ends up hanging by the arm. Oh, my God. That's great. Um, yeah, basically, um, uh, the um, coffin of Valerie falls out of the truck that Harmony was taking away. And, and, and it falls off the bridge and falls onto the, one of those green signs hanging over the bridge and and the arm falls out, and then when he has to jump from not being killed by Dexter, um, he f- jumps over the bridge and grabs the arm to make sure he doesn't fall down to, the, to his death. So, yeah, that, that was a, a really interesting uh, scene. Uh, kind of original, too. That's not something you see every day, for sure. Yeah. A Shane Black type thing, for sure. That's for sure, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, as you were saying, Mike, on that scene, um, what other parts of that scene was pretty awesome for you? Or any other scene, actually, if you want to move on to another scene. The, uh, the hookup in the bar. Uh, oh, the, uh, when he's in the party and he's talking to the actress and you just get the one brief snippet. So there is the horror scene in our in our dark discussions conversation 
uh, where they, you see a flash of the actress's role in a horror movie. You know, she talks about how she's gotten some roles, and you see a flash of her in a cheesy horror film where a monster smacks her head off. <laughs> right. Oh, oh that, that was awesome. awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, because that's that's how it pretty much is. You know, these actresses aren't really actresses. What they are is you know doing indie scenes uh, in in softcore or horror or some cheesy zombie film or something and and you know that's the scene right and, and that- yeah what one day you're like the the random camper who's getting an arrow through your neck and the next thing you know you're in footloose exactly exactly that's a, that's a perfect example um and uh oh who's that other guy uh, uh the, the, the guy matthew on McConaughey, matthew mcconaughey right he he, he was in Texas Chainsaw Three, or right, Johnny Christian. Depp in, in Nightmare on Elm Street, right, right, exactly, exactly. You know, Jack Jack Nicholson in um, <laughs> Oh Little yeah, Shop of Horrors, yeah, and Dementia Thirteen, right. Yeah. I also so, liked how at these parties in L.A., all the actresses would like go talk to somebody to see who they were, and then if they weren't important enough, they just like like she walks out to her and goes. Hey, how you doing? He's like, hey, what's up? And she's like, what do you do? He's like, I'm a detective. She's like, all right, I'm gonna go talk to other people. Have a good night. <laughs> no, and he, no, and then he goes, he goes, is that it? She goes, yeah. That was yeah. awesome. Yeah. I had um, to find that to say, did did I hear what she just said? Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. I, I like. So I was saying the hookup scene, right, where he's he he meets Harmony in the bar, and he has like this this thing with her friend, and then. They just cut to the next morning, and he's in bed with the friend, and they leave it completely unexplained. Well, because they, he because he gets blackout drunk and he doesn't right, right, remember right. what happened. Right. So, so the only thing we get is when he goes to talk to Harmony, and Harmony's all pissed, as as if she has anything to be pissed at based off of what she did as a, as a teenager. But um, she goes, well, once once she started putting your tongue down, your, my friends both. That, that's when I left. He goes, oh, I was blacked out pretty much. Yeah, I think so. He said, well, well, I, that means I didn't, I didn't do it with her. And he goes, how do you know if you were blacked out? He goes, well, I, when I'm tanked, I, 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 you know, erectional dysfunction happens. You know, I, I'm soft. <laughs> you can't get it up. Yeah, I can't yeah. get it up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's kind of funny. So, but I just thought that was an interesting creative choice, right? To actually go with the blackout. Yeah. Um. And, and have us jump there, and, and it's disorienting to us, but it's also disorienting to him. Right, right. Especially, and and the, and the friend must have been a tank as well because she hated him at the bar. And then, why would she be banging her friend? Well, she thought he was friend. bothering her friend. Right, right. So, so it was an un, undeserved hate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then, um, but then she had no issue banging him. So that well, it is Robert Downey Jr. Well, not not in the film. He's just Harry. <laughs> yes, I see your point. Um, yeah, so that, that was good. But yeah, that that was a great line. Like, is that all? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so yeah, if he had said he was an actor or something instead, I think it would work. Yeah, and she was Michael a Parker stewardess. Like, yeah. Oh, and yeah, that's right. They used the word stewardess. She said, "I'm a stewardess." So. That was still in vogue, that word, Mike. (laughs) Was it, though? Uh, In in 2005, 2006? Maybe. I don't don't know. It's been so I don't remember when that suddenly stopped being a thing. Yeah, I don't either. 
where the past where, thirty years are all a blur. Yeah, yeah. Where where somehow the term flight attendant gave it a different air of dignity in theory. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I I don't I don't know what was wrong with stewardess. Whatever. Who knows? It, it, who knows? Um. So let's see what other things were were good. Um. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean that whole first scene after the chainsaw scene was was awesome at the party when when he's doing the monologue and he's just ripping into Hollywood left and right. I still love the the J Y L L E. That's yes. how they spelled Jill. That was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and you know what's funny is that like half the kids in my my daughter, my eight year old and six year old's classes, the, their kids' names are like weird names like that. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've said for years that when I finally take over, I'll have those re-education centers set up, and one of them will be for names. Um, oh yeah, as, as a teacher, just, you're just, probably beginning oh yeah, to get I, some of the weird ones now. Names. Oh yeah, like the first the first one will be for Christina's. I want I want just all the parents into a camp. I don't give a fuck what the answer is. Come up with one way to spell Christina and Christine. Yeah. yeah. C's, well, K's, I's, Y's. I don't give a shit. One way. That's it. <laughs> well, I, I can understand the C and the K because the C way is the English way to say it, and the K way is the Scandinavian and, and Germanic. So it's like, yeah, you know, you know. Dude, you do you even this. know how many ways there are to spell Eric? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it's another fucking one. insane. Yeah, the C and the K, right? You get the and the and the A and the Q and the <laughs> yeah. it's all yeah. fucked. Yeah. Oh, we had a kid. Xavier a couple of years ago, it looked like somebody had sat on the keyboard. I, I don't know how they came. X, Z, Y, A, B, I, A, H or something. Well, like, the best was my mortgage. Um, they spelled my name wrong, as they always do. And, and in my checkbook, they spelled my name as, as their, you know, with two L's instead of one L for Philip. And and my, uh, the lawyer, you know, the, the, that I had to, when I was signing my mortgage, he said, "Yeah, Phil, you just want to go with the the, the double L's because if we change it now, it's going to take another three weeks before you get your house." All right, my yeah. name is Philip with two L's. <laughs> At least my brother house. actually spells his name with two L's. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, it can go either way, right? And that's the yep. thing, yeah. which is weird because his name is Harry. <laughs> ah, uh, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, and then and then oh, the best was. Uh, they, I, I sent in for, for new checks, and they spelled it with double L's. And so I call them up, and I'm complaining. I go, yeah, this is wrong. I needed the new checks. They go, well, you got you wrote Philip with two L's when you sent it in. I go, I, I, I think I know my own first name. No, I didn't. And so they said, fine. So they sent me a whole new checks with the one L, and then I just used both. <laughs> so I got free checks, basically. I got a whole set of free checks with double L's. But the best, though, to just blatantly lie and say, you spelled your name with two L's when you sent it. In. You like, spelled your own name wrong. Yeah. Yep, like, that's what happened. Yeah. My friend did it on the SATs, so, you know. Really? Yeah. Well, it's a really hard name. His name was Ralph. I'm assuming you didn't get a great score on the SATs? Uh, I don't think he did. It was, it was Ralph with, I guess, two L's or something. I don't know. Oh, jeez. Right. I thought it was going to be Ralph with an F or something instead of the PH. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Uh, what are those things? All right, so we 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 went over the the Jill and and the ridiculousness of the names. Um, what other Hollywood things do they rip into in this film? They ripped into a, a good many. Um, 
Well, I yeah. also want to call out one of my favorite comedians is Larry Miller, and he's got the role of the producer in this. Um, okay. Oh, the one that brings Downey Jr.'s character to uh, L.A.? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm always very happy to see him in a part. Yeah, I knew I'd seen his face before, but I wasn't really sure where I had seen his face before. Um, and then Moynihan, too. I had forgotten all about her, to be honest. I was like, who the hell? I know this woman. And so, and I, I had no idea how good looking she was until this film, to be honest. But then I said, oh, yeah, that's right. She's the one from Gone Baby Gone. Because when I saw Gone Baby Gone, that's the only film I've ever seen her in. And it's like, who is this woman? Why is she in a leading role with Casey Affleck? Because at that time, Casey Affleck was... Casey who? Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, Affleck, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, who is this woman? It's like, this is a type of part that should be going to, you know, someone huge. Um, But I guess she was kind of big at that time, and I just didn't even know who she was. Or maybe she got the part because she's a good actor. Yeah, I'm I'm going to avoid the easy joke here. Well, all right. She, she obviously got the, the part because she's she's good looking. But but all these actresses are good looking. So it's like, right? There's 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 what they call Hollywood ugly, which is, you know, you're an attractive person with bad hair or something. You know, it's like they're all they're all attractive. You know, you look at these people. And they're oh, they're supposed to be playing the ugly friend, and you know, it's just because they didn't bother putting makeup on her or something. Right, or they're just wearing glasses, you know, like a librarian that's really good looking or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the first time we meet her it's she's well known for her 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 legs and figure or whatever downey jr says over the um you know the over voice and yeah they they focus on that a lot it's like oh yeah but um so yeah i guess she was kind of popular at that time i I didn't know much about her as an actress so um, again it was also though a 15 million dollar movie so it didn't have a huge budget i imagine a lot of that budget would have just gone to uh downey and shane black Right, right. And, well, and, and uh, Val Kilmer. Yeah, that's true. I would give you, give you that. Um, and uh, and she had just done Gone, Baby Gone prior to that. Uh, but it shows that she was a really good actress because completely different roles. You know, she's a sex pot uh, here, and then she was a the detective type in, the, in Gone, Baby Gone and, and kind of plain. And and so, yeah, I was surprised her career didn't take off. But again, you know, there's just a lot of people. Like, you know, like Val Kilmer's another one. You know, his career didn't take off either after that, too. So, um, Well, it's like I always say. It's almost like these people connect. Always. Explain, Mike. The actors. The idea, people, like, are always kind of shocked. You know, the, the good example being... Um, Kristen Stewart. Uh, uh, no. Uh, although I, I've heard she's gotten good notices for the uh, Princess Diana movie by some people, but I was thinking of, you know, Brian Cranston, you know, goes from sitcom dad to Walter White. And yeah. so, you know, it's like, oh, it's, I didn't know they could, I didn't know he could do serious stuff too, you know, right. which like Tom Hanks was one of them or Robin Williams or, um, right. it's like they're actors. They can act. That's, that's the point. There's very few actors that are like, I, I yeah. want to be oh. dedicated to be known as best friend number three that's- forever. That's a fair point you're making. At the same time, I think it's a little more common for uh, comedians to be able to switch over to acting than vice versa. Oh, absolutely. Um, Because not every actor can be funny. (laughs) Right, but it's weird because the sense is, right, that serious movies are harder to make. 
Mm -hmm. When you look, there's a whole lot more good, serious movies that come out than good comedies every year. It's making a good comedy is hard. It it is. It it absolutely is. And it's, and you, and then you watch somebody like Robert De Niro try to do comedy and oh my God, it is painful. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, So yeah, but it's, but the point is that people can act outside the thing that, you know, that's why typecasting is a problem you know, for a lot of these people now, and there's always any time I've never said this before. Like you look at a, at an actor, you go through their stages of their career where they're happy to get any job they can get. And then they, they get a job as like a, a regular on a TV series. And they're just happy to have a regular paycheck. Mm -hmm. And then they're on the show for like seven years, like David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. And they're like, I didn't, become an actor or actress to play this same part for the rest of my life (laughs) with the possible exception of Jensen Ackles. And (laughs) because, you know, he's, he's, he's going back to do a supernatural thing now. Yeah. He always, he's, he's into being Dean. Yeah. And, and Dean's a good part. You know, he gets to wear comfortable clothes. Oh, oh, is he doing a spinoff with Dean? No, he's, I think was pitching a spinoff where he's playing his father, oh. like a prequel thing. Okay, but but and then they go from there, and so they said. So then they they want to distance themselves from the, the 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 part that made them famous, and then the vast majority of them, at some point, go back to, hey, how about a revival series, or, you know, uh, because I I'm back to wanting a paycheck again. <laughs> I, I need money. Right. And so can we do a reunion show? Can, I, I, I'd really like to go back and do, you know, Richie Cunningham again or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah. No, no, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, I heard about that uh, spinoff and uh, Palecki, they didn't contact him and he, he found out about yeah, it. Yeah. Apparently they, yeah. they, they, they kissed and made up afterwards, but uh Right, right. Or, or at least they told the fans they did because there's there's an image there they have to kind of preserve for the conventions that they want to get right. that autograph money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I, I and just to be clear, I'm not making accusations. I'm just throwing out hypotheticals. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's, what do you do? You know, I mean, Jensen's off at a park. Does well, it no, it was out? like he pitched it. I mean, it oh, like, he pitched it. Oh. Or, 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 or whatever. He was going to be a producer to it, so he was part of it, and so he didn't even bother giving him a, a phone call, and it's kind of like, uh. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> well, well, maybe, maybe, maybe they weren't buddies. Maybe they weren't really buddies, even those 12 years, whatever the heck it was. A friend of mine I went to music school with is actually a huge Supernatural fan, and apparently... They have a supernatural convention in in Minneapolis every year, so she would go to that, and she posted a picture on social media of herself being hugged uh, on either side by Sam and Dean, and she's the happiest fucking woman in the world. <laughs> that picture, you can tell she's like her. She she's got the biggest shitty grin on her face. She's just like it's the moment she's waited for her entire life. All right. Well, this is a woman in one of my uh, fantasy baseball leagues or whatever, and and she said that she would gladly be a 
a, uh, a sandwich between the two of them. <laughs> right. Or something like that. You know, you're like, like they would be on both sides. Yeah, I'm sure you get it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you know, they, they are, uh, I'm pretty sure, two rather good-looking gentlemen. So, yeah. uh, hey, you know, yeah. more yeah. power to you. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So, uh, so I think we're uh, pretty much done with the movie at this point since we're talking about uh, Sam and Gene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I gotta be honest. One of the hard parts I think for me in this film is that it is it is the dialogue that that works here, and if you can't deliver the dialogue well, and we can't, um, all you're doing is kind of doing the Chris Farley. Remember the part where they said it was awesome. Know, it was awesome, and ruining it for the people who haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. It's. Just, just really, just watch it, listen to it. Don't give a shit about the plot because it is a weird, convoluted thing, as they always are in these kind of detective stories. Yeah, I went in completely blind, and uh, I, I thought it was going to be like a um, middle of the desert gun battle type movie because I went, in, I didn't read anything, I didn't see the trailer, <laughs> and, and you started I, I with a magic trick. trick. Well, and I was trying to look it up all day this morning. And it's like I can't I can't find this film. I go, what the hell? I, I thought Brad Pitt starred in it. <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought Brad. No, Pitt I think you're thinking California. No, no, I think I'm saying uh, Kill Them Softly or something. Maybe. Killing Them Softly. Okay, yeah, which I don't remember if I saw or not. Which I I've never I saw did. that one either. But I, yeah, so I just and it came. They all came out at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So it's like one of those films. I don't know. But so yeah, I was completely surprised what this film was. I had no idea. Um, but uh, I was I was I was pleasantly surprised. It was good. So yeah. All right. So uh, yeah, I guess that that pretty much wraps the film up. So um, let's see. I guess we can get into our final thoughts on this film. But before we do, does anybody want to bring up any general, I guess, stuff about films or anything? Since this is cinema a la carte, you can bring up anything, not just genre stuff. Uh, we can start with you, Eric, if you wanted to mention anything. Like what I've been watching? Yeah, I guess so. Or news or something. Yeah. Uh, don't have any news. Um, let me check my uh, diary real quick in Letterboxd. Oh, I've just been revisiting some uh, some stuff for the for the holiday season, like Die Hard and Die Hard Two. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, and speaking of speaking of comedies. Uh, we're talking about how hard it is to make a good comedy. Here's one that would not be allowed to be made the way it was today. This is Trading Places. Oh my God, That's what a, a great movie! movie. <laughs> what a great, a great movie. movie! It was, yeah, that was a great film. Early '80s, Eddie Murphy, um, Dan Aykroyd, yeah, Jamie Dan Lee Curtis, and, uh, Jamie oh, oh, Curtis. oh, and and then then Ralph Bellamy and uh, who's the other guy? Don Amici. Don Amici, yeah, yeah, that that was a great cast. <laughs> Bellamy and, and, and Don Amici stole the film. Well, actually, they were all good. It was all a fucking great film. Yeah. It was, yeah. <laughs> when when Aykroyd is is is, is a bum now, <laughs> I gotta watch that film again. It was a great <laughs> it's, it's a great movie. And there's one moment in that movie, like I've seen this movie at least half a dozen times, and there's one moment in that movie that just will. I, I I can't imagine it will not make me laugh someday, uh, but it's when they're trying to explain to Eddie Murphy what commodities are, 
and they're being yeah, yeah. totally condescending. And they're like, and this, these are pork bellies, which you would use to make bacon, which you might find in a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich. <laughs> and Eddie Murphy just looks straight into the camera. <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard every single oh. fucking time. It's just the way he looks straight into the camera. It's, it's genius. And it's one of those things that Mike was talking about that, that you can't do it because you're not, you're not Eddie Murphy. Uh, but the way he does it is so damn funny. Uh, yeah. Having a, was it Bellamy that started having a heart attack or was it me, uh, Don Amici at the end? It was just funny. It was like, oh my God. He was Bellamy. Yeah. yeah, it was Bellamy. It was awesome. Oh my, and, and then to have them come back in a cameo in uh, Yeah, that was awesome. We're back. We're back. Yeah, way before that was a thing. Right, yeah. way before, like you know, people trying to do little interconnected, connected universe, universes, yeah. and right, 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 yeah, yeah. But but it was brilliant because you know Eddie Murphy, you know, was probably buddies with Bellamy and and Amici, and he goes, "Dude, let's bring them back. Let's do it." That was <laughs> awesome. That was yeah, great. it was it was a great. I mean, it's a great throwaway gag. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if you didn't if you didn't see Trading Places, you wouldn't know what the hell had happened. But if you did, it's like, oh my god, that's Trading awesome. Places, like, oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember says, seeing We're back. that. We're back. I remember seeing that in the theater when it came out, and yeah, the audience kind of lost it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so 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 Bellamy didn't die. He didn't have the heart, the heart attack didn't kill him. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, there were very few people with the star power that Eddie Murphy had in the uh, early mid eighties. It's right, kind of right, amazing. Right, right. Yeah, well, again, very, that's... very first film seeing Ralph Bellamy was in The Wolfman. That's right. Mm. With Lon Chaney, 1940. Oh, well. Yeah. Anyway, you know why? Because he was old as fuck. Yeah. Yes, well, yeah, by that time, um, it shows you how long he was in, in films before he finally passed. He was he was actually Dr. Saperstein in, in, in Rosemary's Baby. Remember, we were just talking about Dr. Saperstein. Yeah. Yeah, see, Bellamy was the best. I love that guy. Anyway, continue. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I'm done. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, any, no other stuff you want to bring up, Eric? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. What about you, Mike? You anything you want to bring up? No, the only thing I've been watching uh, is on Disney Plus, the Get Back series by uh, Peter Jackson, which is, I think, like about things about it, which is like nine hours of. Uh, behind the scenes of the Beatles recording the Let It Be album. And I am a Beatles fan. I am not a Beatles hardcore fanatic. Um, like made with Taylor Swift? Nobody. Nobody's like that insane. Taylor Swift. Uh, so I know like some things about it. I didn't know all the stuff going on behind the scenes. And so like there is a scene where uh, George Harrison has just quit the band and Paul McCartney and John Lennon go into a room to have a private conversation, unaware of the fact that the filmmakers have hidden a microphone in the flower pot. So you're having hearing this very candid conversation between the two of them um, about what they were doing wrong and how they had kind of fucked up and alienated George Harrison which was always and, and just really hashing things out in a very candid way between them. I thought was fascinating, but mm-hmm. also as someone who does not really have a musical bone in my body, like watching them, uh, watching like Paul McCartney, just sort of create, get back on the spot, watching them work through, through, through songs, you know, um, 
and trying different things and fucking around a bit and just sort of seeing that being a fly on the wall for this creative process. When we all know, or I know the end product, mm-hmm. right. Um, you know, that I, I think it was a, is a really interesting thing. Now it is nine hours. No, it's, I heard, uh, it's an- long, um, because it's covering two weeks of their time. Right. Well, and I heard another podcaster talking about this and, and, Two things he he mentioned. One I did not know. Uh, actually, two, two, two of them I did not know. Um, one was that I didn't realize that for that album they just said we're going to make this album in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they came in with like nothing. They had like no songs. Holy crap! Two let, zero to let it be in two weeks. What the hell? Um, and, and it's not amazing. considered one of their best albums, you know. It just um, mm-hmm. and yet and yet it had so many great songs on. Oh, it absolutely, it yeah, absolutely yeah. did. Um, and and then the other moment he mentioned is that uh, I think it was that same get back uh, when I guess when Paul McCartney would write songs, he would start by just like vocalizing a tune without real words. Um, and then there's a moment where they're showing where he actually starts singing the words "Get Back." And like in the background, George Harrison is yawning because like to everybody watching this thing, it's like, oh, my God, this is the moment when this classic hit was made. And George Harrison is just like, oh, that's Tuesday. <laughs> I, I think the reason the album got uh, considered they're, um, not as good as, say, Abbey Road or something right before it is because of Phil Spector, which was always a sound Wall, the wall of sound, yeah. yeah well, yeah, the, yeah. the thing is that with the the idea of the album was that they were going to record it live. That's right. That's right. And 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 which they did basically. And he they just did, the but then the, 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 and then he, and then they ended up mixing it. And then there's yeah. always a debate as to whether he did he save the album in editing it and adding to it, or did he ruin the album by doing it? Which is why they did the Let It Be Naked album uh, right. yeah, about fifteen years, years ago. ago. And, um, you know, that, that, that's there. The music is there for people to to test. And the the truth is for the average person, it it doesn't make a difference. Uh, they they, they don't know. They don't care. Um, but I was like, it did get me doing some deep diving because they made a great point, like about how, you know, George Harrison was like the baby of the group and he was kind of coming into his own, but so much of it was just, and McCartney and Lennon yeah, and McCartney and Lennon and they didn't really take him seriously and like he got Eric Clapton to do the guitar on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Well and, and that's the thing. And Clapton, Clapton didn't want to do it and he said, They don't give a fuck. Right. right? They don't Harrison care what I'm doing. Harrison could have done it himself because he was one of the best guitarists of all time too. Oh but. yeah, but it was it's just that he was it's just the idea that he needed someone to help him. And he just yeah, focused yeah, on the yeah, rhythm guitar and the vocals, but he was feeling so dismissed that you had songs like something. Well, that's what I was about um, to say. Because at that point in in Harrison's career, he had something. He had uh, uh, "Here Comes the Sun," like, my guitar gently weeps. So, so it was like he was becoming awesome at that point. And it's like, right? But this is also near the end should, of their their career as they're kind of getting ready to break up. Yeah, yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and the joke after, is that Ringo is just there the whole time, kind of hanging in the background. <laughs> like, that's right. <laughs> whatever, I'll play the drums. Uh, Peter Sellers has a cameo because he's in a story in a movie called The Magic Christian with uh, with Ringo at the time, and so well, he just it, like stops by the the studio. 
Well, and and that's that's the problem. The, the thing, the reason Ringo was just sitting in the background was because he wasn't a songwriter. It, it, right. It's, uh, the, if you're a songwriter, that's you get you pretty much get full control, you know. And and since Lennon and McCartney were doing it since the very beginning, they they pretty much, and or probably the two greatest two two of the greatest songwriters of all time, uh, Harrison w- was obviously screwed over because he started coming into his own, like you said, near the well, end of the, the Beatles. And, and get this. The Beatles broke up when they were like 26. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, like, it, the it, Beatles it, formed, did the Beatles and right. broke up by 26. Right. And right. then had the rest of their fucking lives. That's just mind blowing. Yeah. That is bizarre. Yeah. And, and they, they never got to the level of the Beatles, though they've had some, had some pretty awesome songs, especially Lennon and, and Harrison and McCartney, but but yeah, it's just weird, you know. I mean, how that six years or whatever it is that from what sixty two to can you imagine 63 having that much success by the by your mid twenties? That's insane. Well, and and I'll also say there's something to be said for their collaboration, right? Is that um, like John Lennon helped. George Harrison with the, the lyrics to Taxman. Right. And, you know, these guys all have a different creative strengths, bouncing their ideas off each other, mm-hmm. both in terms of songwriting and in terms of performance. Um, right. You know, there is something to be said for that. And I do think like, and I'm not the first to say it. I think it's very obvious when you listen to a lot of the McCartney stuff on its own, he could still write a fantastic melody mm-hmm. and a musical hook but his lyrics can be unbelievably sappy oh, yeah, yeah, no. and you needed some of lennon's cynicism for that and on the, and the flip side lennon could write some really smart stuff but paul helped soften it up a little bit popularize it a bit and add a little bit of more musicianship to it i think you know, and Lennon was really from the sound. He was a lot of like Tomorrow that. never knows. That was an awesome song. But he was uh, from that little candid conversation that Paul McCartney could often be for good or ill, like the the music bully. You know, of, of the guy who was pushing. This is how we're going to do this, and this is how we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's how he was well, being no, perceived and, by other members of the band. And it was probably true because Lennon just didn't give a shit at that point because he wanted to go. You know, he, right. he was done. He was done with the Beatles, and Harrison was pissed because he was getting shit on. So, and McCartney but he also he was, was done. But he also was very happy to be there and hanging out with them and playing, playing and having fun. It yeah. was just who was taking it seriously, who wasn't. You could see why it would need to break up, but it's a shame that they never got the chance to break up and then do like the reunion tour because you'd know if oh, they yeah. hadn't, if Lennon hadn't died, mm-hmm. that in like 1990 there would have been the Beatles reunion tour. <laughs> Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, and about those candid conversations you're talking about, Mike, well, I read something that that was saying in the in the making of that documentary. Uh, they they had signed the waiver for the camera crew to be there, but often what they would do to try and like talk and not be picked up by the documentary crew is that they would kind of like noodle around on their guitars uh, on the other side of the room while they were having a conversation. Uh, so they wouldn't get picked up, but the technology is such these days that they were able to just like remove the guitar and get the conversation, um, which, you know, 
the the Beatles never saw that technology coming. So so a lot a lot of that uh the candid conversations uh really they never kind of wanted anybody to hear. Uh but you can now anyway. Well no, well this is this well, one that I was specifically referring to is that they is that they had deliberately gone into a different room to get away from the cameras. Mm-hmm. Right. So they, they, they did not screwed. know they were they were on that they were going to be picked up and right. You know, it's and by the yeah, way, it's too something it's, different. It's to it's well, to their credit that they got it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And to be honest, you never know if they would have done a reunion tour anyway, Mike, because like Roger Waters and Gilmore, David Gilmore, you know, they they never they said f you to each other. They never did. And, and then even Black Sabbath, it was only at the very like last. Well, now it's been fifteen years, but they yeah. they, they they did it that one time, <laughs> and that was it. You know, and so yeah, I know. Seriously, right, my, Eric? I mean, it's oh, it was a couple it was years. It was a real ago. long time before they actually, did it the first time. Yeah, and actually, now it's like yeah, because it was like like oh yeah, just a couple of years ago, and it's really like fifteen years ago. But that yeah, so I mean, I don't know. There's a chance they could have. It was it, there would have been a hope anyway. But oh, there would have been so much money involved. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I don't think Lennon. Would have gave a shit, or, or McCartney would give a shit. Specifically, Lennon. I don't think he would have gave a shit at all. He would have said, nah, I don't need the money." Yeah, he didn't he right. yeah. So I, I don't know. You know, same with dude. If Waters and Gilmore had gotten back together to, with Floyd, dude, Floyd would have been that would have been huge. And and Waters said, "Fuck you, I ain't doing that shit." So if, I tell you what, think, it depends on if Yoko and uh, and John would have stayed together. If they split up, I bet you John would have been like, "Hey guys." I'm bored. Want to do something? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then there's yeah. an interesting conversation they have when John's not there about him and Yoko. That is, is I think, kind of enlightening too, because they kind of admit that they were being a little shit towards them. Uh, you know, that they, that, like, they understand that you know, he just wants to be with her. So you know, let let the young lovers be together. Right. But they're also admitting yeah. that they're a little bit like being dicks about it. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, yeah. All right, but but you know, it's just one of those things. You just never know what would have happened. Uh, you know, like tomorrow the never knows. That's right. Well, and that's kind of why I was a little bummed about that movie yesterday. So it's such an intriguing premise. You mean <laughs> like, about the, the the Indian guy from Britain? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, about uh, being in a world where there are no Beatles, but you know all the Beatles songs. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> They could have done more with that. It ended up being a very medi- mediocre movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting how, how that happened. Though. Yeah, because the Stones, right? They, I mean, even though Brian Jones died, or, or they kicked him out of the band because he was kind of being like McCartney, because he was it, basically what it was is Jones was managing the whole thing, and he was pissed that the others just. Were being trying to take control. It's like, yeah, but I'm managing it, and they go, yeah, but you're not writing the songs. So they eventually fired him, and then he he unfortunately passed from drowning. But uh, Richards and 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 oh my god, what tells us now? Jagger, thank you. Jagger had you know they they survived and they kept on going. You know, so I don't know. It's just uh, interesting. Well, you know, watch too. He was always there, but but yeah, I don't, I don't know what. Makes a band survive and what doesn't? You know, the Doors they broke up, you know, and then he croaked. So they watch anything out. else, Mike? Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm just no, not that. really. I could talk <laughs> about as, music as, 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 as I, rock forever. As I as I mentioned with uh, in the last 
uh, Dark Discussions podcast. I'm been doing a rewatch on Better Call Saul. I just finished watching the uh, the fourth season, and uh, I'm trying to decide if I want to jump into the fifth again. When's the next season coming out? Uh, I think February. Yeah. Is that the last season, or are they going to keep on going? Uh, it's one of those things where it's the last season, but they did extra episodes, and they're splitting it into two seasons. So there'll be like a like they'll do like eight episodes in a gap, and then eight more episodes, and and that's the end of the show for good. And then that's the end of the show for good. Interesting. And 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 you can finally get the the well, rest. Hopefully, those that means story. they got to end it the way they wanted to. Yeah, it sounds like they did. Um, I mean, they had. I, just hate, I hate when shows just stop <laughs> instead of having a planned ending. <laughs> no, they have they have really given that show i think just about anything they've wanted in terms of time to mm-hmm. do what they want and you know they've taken a little bit more than a year between each season so if you look you know it's like each the one season ends the next one starts like 14 months later 15 months later and then this one start is even longer because of the covid break and then bob odenkirk had a heart attack and um you know so you know he's still trying to play himself like 15 years younger than he really is Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe 20 years younger at this point. Um, but it, it's still just a phenomenal show. Uh, and, you know, the idea that you could do a show on TV in that first season where it feels like a five minute scene of just a woman coming down a staircase on a, on a elevator chair, uh, just played kind of for, for the, the laughs and the drama. Um, it's a show that really is very, very deliberate, um, and deliberately paced and does its own thing and does it so well. And this is Saul you're talking about? Yeah. Right, right. Well, and it has a really great uh lead act character too. Lead actor and and, and you've got and you've got Mike Erman Trout and you've yeah, got yeah. those are the, the, they were like the, the breakout characters. Yeah, from 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 the original series. That's why yeah. they got a spin-off. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and you'll 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 find out why why Mike Mike hates working with with nerdy science type people. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, they're, 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 those are great characters. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, I haven't watched the show though. I, I watched the first like three or four episodes of season one, and then I missed an episode because it was you know live. And so if and if you missed the episode, then when you you know you can't see it for another. It's still on Netflix. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the first four episode four seasons are on Netflix. Yeah, so now um, I could watch it. Yeah. Yeah, the first it takes until. It, they don't really get into the criminal stuff until season two. So if you're interested in the Saltalamacas uh, and uh, and you know Gustavo Fring comes in third season, you know that's where the, the the criminal stuff really starts to ramp up, and the life and limb jeopardy stuff becomes more prominent. Uh, but I think it just there's a fantastic. really great story about him and his brother. Oh, and it's right, which is the first. Yeah. Yeah, and that gets resolved. And see, for me, the fourth season might be the weakest because they resolve the storyline with with the between the two brothers, and they kind of need to start anew. And so there's a lot of like table setting again in the fourth season, mm-hmm. um, and stuff that feels like it's killing time. I know where they're going, but you I know, fear just, for Kim. Hmm? <laughs> I said I, I fear for Kim. Oh, I feel yeah, and then there's Kim, and she's and Ray Seahorn is just absolutely fantastic. Right, right. 
Anyway. What about you, yeah. Phil? Uh, I've been watching Rick and Morty season five. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually holds up. So I don't think it's, it's jumped the shark at all. I think it's, uh, still a damn good show. And I think, uh, I'm looking forward to season six, whenever that comes out. Fortunately, it'll probably be another two years or something. But, uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, for people who don't know what Rick and Morty is, it's a science fiction comedy show, uh, that was on Adult Swim. Um, and it's, uh, um, cartoon animation, and it's uh, basically uh, a grandfather and his grandson that do crazy adventures, and it revolves around their adventures as well as the extended family of the two. Yeah, it's basically like Back to the Future on with the, with amoral protagonists and yeah on acid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, on acid, yeah, yeah. And, they, and they, everybody keeps on saying when I, you read reviews or whatever that uh, Rick is a sociopath, but uh, I don't know. He's just... Yeah, it's kind of a sociopath. Yeah, I guess he is. Yeah. But but he's not an evil sociopath. He's just a... Uh... I mean, he's a guy who, who, when things go wrong, blows up, you know, and, and abandons his family just to go move in with his family in a parallel dimension. Yeah, Um, and just pretend that the fuck up never happened right 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 yep good stuff good stuff Um, yeah so um, that's it that's all oh and I've been playing a a video game uh, Resident Evil Village and uh, I'll talk about that more on on Dark Discussions podcast you already uh, did yeah I already did yeah but uh, my further adventures as I, I go further, but yeah, I pretty much summed it up the last episode. Uh, and that's pretty much all I've been doing is, uh, watching those two shows. Oh, and actually I did see a movie with my wife. What the hell movie did I see? Um, Oh yeah. That, the new Sandra Bullock film, uh, unforgiving or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Nope. nope. No, it's a, it's on, it's the, it's like being really promoted big time on Netflix. I think. I think it's a Netflix film. Uh, let me see. It's called oh, Un- no, Unforgivable. Unforgivable on Netflix. The Unforgivable on Netflix. Um, and uh, it's a pretty good film. Uh, there's a big uh, um, twist to it and some moral questions and stuff. Basically, she is a woman that, um, that her parents died and so she and her little sister, who's like 14 years younger than her, uh, inherit the farm outside of um, Seattle, Washington. And, of course, the money problems begin to happen. And so the, the it's not known whether it's the bank or the town, and I'm thinking it's the town, that is coming to – take her house away because of back property tax or something. And so I think it's that, I think it's the town and, and during the incident, there's a death of a police officer, um, who she's friends with and she goes to jail for 20 years and comes out and her daughter, I mean, not her daughter, her sister was adopted, uh, by a family. And so it's her trying to build back her life and try to find, or get a reconnection with her sister. 
So it's not a happy film. Sounds like a wife show. Yeah. Uh, a what show? A wife show. Wife show. What's you know the the part the, the woman who lives with you. That's oh. old enough to vote. Well, anything with Sandra Bullock usually usually would be, but this is uh, this is not this is more like um, a Bird Box where she plays out of role. You know, so so she's not doing the comedy, romantic comedy. So this is more like uh, different than her usual stuff. Even though it would appeal to many women because it's a Sandra Bullock film, and a lot of women uh, like her a lot. Um, so I would disagree and say it's not a, just a wife film. It's, so it's a person like who likes. I did, I did. Okay, but so it's a wife show. It, yeah, it was the it was movie night for sure. That, but but. It's a, it, it's a Sandra Bullock. Wait, wait. It's a Sandra Bullock film. Yes. And you watched it with your wife. Yes. Is it a film or a series? I'm confused. It's 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 a film. It's a brand new film. Okay. I thought it was a series. It has a pretty good cast too because it's Bullock, but Vincent D'Onofrio's in it, uh, Viola Davis, uh, and uh, also John Bernthal as well. He's good. I always like John Bernthal. Where's Vincent D'Onofrio on the? Uh D'Onofrio weight scale at this point. Uh, he's not bad. He's he's actually. Uh, I mean, he's he's you know he looks like a, a, a football player type, but 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 he's I mean, not. I'm certainly not one to judge other people who are overweight, but he yeah. fluctuated quite a bit there for a while. Yeah, yeah, he's he's on the lower end, uh, but still a bigger man. But 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 not. I wouldn't call him. I, I guess he still would be considered overweight by medical standards, but mm-hmm. he's definitely he's definitely not. Uh, but he's not peak D'Onofrio weight. He, right, right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, he may be going back up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, well, no, he he uh, he played the character of the of the kingpin in the Marvel Daredevil TV series, and there's there's rumors he that good, he's yeah, that he's that he's reprising the role in the Hawkeye TV series. Ah, okay. uh, who, who plays Doc Ock? What's that actor's name again? Alfred Molina. Yeah, yeah Alfred Molina. Yeah, so he's he's in that category range. He looks like that 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 weight range. Okay. Right? Yeah, if that makes sense. Um. So yeah, that was a pretty good film, The Unforgivable. It's free on Netflix if you're a subscriber of Netflix. Um. So if you uh, want, want uh, a depressing dramas that isn't all, the ending has some light so it's not complete depressing but it's uh to get to that point it's it's somewhat depressing especially as you learn what really happened during the the incident when the police officer died it's like yeah so uh and and just for someone trying to re you know um make their their life i guess um is from 20 years in prison. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and the damage that a death can cause to other fam- the family that it happened to, and on and on. Um, and even that part, that part was, was real depressing when you think about it, because the death of that police officer turns a, a family that was very close knit and healthy into a dysfunction too. So it's it, the whole thing is, it's, it's, yes, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, so that's all I have. I got nothing else. Uh, all right. So it's been recording about a little over two hours. So I guess we can give our final 
thoughts on this film here. But before we do, uh, Eric, you actually do another podcast with your buddy Dan. I do. It's a general interest podcast called the Scancity Podcast. That's spelled A-S-K-A-N-C-I-T-Y. You can get it wherever you found this one. Excellent. And Mike, uh, me, you, and Eric, and, and various other rotating co-hosts every so often are uh, doing another podcast, the, the main podcast of the, the network. Uh, that would be the Dark Discussions podcast, which we record every Thursday night, just about, um, featuring usually something kind of new in the horror genre, but sometimes something old and sometimes something more in the uh, thrillerish genre, or maybe even sometimes in the feel-good Christmassy movie genre, Indeed. like our latest movie. Yes, yes, which was also a thriller. So, yeah, so there you go. Uh, so, yep, yep. So uh, that's good. And um, I guess we can give our final thoughts now. So, uh, Mike, why don't you start? This was your choice. Uh, bang, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Yeah, I really mostly just was jonesing to watch this movie again. And I enjoy it a lot. And um, I, I think I just think it's fun. And it's <laughs> I, I keep forgetting about the darker elements of it. But, uh, you know, when it's. Uh, we review so many movies in which people are, you know, raped and murdered or murdered and raped or raped while murdered. Um, it's nice to have something light to throw on every now and then. And this is just, you know, again, uh, you know, it just, just really sparkles uh, with wit and uh, with sharp dialogue and great performances. Uh, so I, I certainly highly recommend it. Um, especially if you've never seen it before. And again, I didn't want to tread too much on just repeating all the dialogue, which comes at you a lot. We barely scratch the surface. So I high recommend for me. All right. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, for me, um, yeah, it's a pretty good film. Uh, somewhat of a surprise. Cause, uh, again, I, I didn't know much about it. It was one of those films that came and went, uh, though I did know that it got good reviews and, and whatnot. Uh, it's definitely, a kind of a, a good cult film for sure. I, I, I don't know if it has reached that point, but I could see it getting a, a cult following eventually just for the fact that it was like one of these hidden gems that people hadn't heard about or knew about. But uh, all in all, uh, yeah, it's a good film. I, I, I liked it and uh, glad that I visited it because otherwise if Mike had never suggested it, I probably would never have seen this film in my life. Uh, Eric. Yeah, I like this movie. Uh, it is unique. Uh, it's Really, I mean, convoluted. Uh, pay attention if you decide to watch it, but I would say uh, you should watch it. Give it a shot. All right, sounds good. So uh, once more, uh, this film is called Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Um, it was directed and written by uh, Shane Black, uh, who uh, based it on a, a book called Bodies Are Where You Find Them by Brett Halliday. Uh, the film stars Robert Downey Jr., Val Kilmer, and Michelle Moynihan, all in uh, fantastic performances. And the film is readily available uh, for rent anywhere. Uh, at the moment, it is not free on any, any network, to my knowledge, uh, but you can find it for uh, a couple bucks uh, to rent or 10 bucks to purchase anywhere movies are found. And also, as Mike mentioned, you can also find it on uh, hard copy uh, discs as well. Yes, uh, the Blu-ray I have has a gag reel and a commentary. 
Oh, so you did uh, go and buy the the disc, or you have? Oh, it? I've owned it for years. Oh, gotcha. Right, sounds good. So it has some extras too. So it may be worth uh, just getting the hard copy, even if it is uh, not as convenient as just turning on a TV and press and play. Um, but uh, again, yeah, you delivery. gotta put that disc in the player. Ow, my back. Well, you, you know what it is that I, unfortunately <laughs> I'm I'm, re- I'm buying a lot of VOD stuff now because my my wife and kids. Are, are confused to how how do you switch over to HDMI to th- one to two uh, to three you know that gotcha. crap it's like yeah it's like all right we have five hundred remotes what do you do and it's like all right well just use Apple TV and press play um, <laughs> so yeah so most of the children's films are all that gotcha yeah but um uh, all right so I think that's pretty much it for cinema a la carte and we will be back uh, soon uh, probably record another in January because uh, um, we have. Plenty of films to go for with. Uh, and so with that, Eric, why don't you lead us out? All right. Thanks for doing this. Let's talk about Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Come back next time. We'll have another movie.